Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 11 verses here this morning. It says, starting verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one near you, in the pew in front of you. Uh, if you don't ha- own a Bible, feel free to take that one. Um, be glad to have you uh, use that Bible uh, this morning. First Corinthians chapter 15 was uh, just read for us uh, this morning. Uh, most of you are here because you know it is Easter Sunday, uh, Resurrection Sunday, the day commemorating the day when Jesus Christ was, was resurrected. Today, uh, we want to celebrate that as we have been, um, but we also want to consider what the Bible actually has to say about that. We've talked about this survey uh, a number of times called the State of Theology at our church in the past few weeks. And a survey was conducted last year, or published last year, about the state of theology in in America. What what, what do Christians, what do evangelicals, uh, more clearly, say that they even believe? In regard to the resurrection, this statement was asked, uh, biblical accounts of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. This event actually occurred. And so they were to ask people, do they agree with that? And so 68% of the people surveyed said that they agreed. 19 disagreed and 13 were not sure. Not a a terrible statistic. Uh, If you remember, we we saw much worse from from some other categories. But also this week, a friend sent me an article um, about a, a poll that was taken in the U.K., which found that only 46% of Christians believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. The poll also discovered this, though, that 82% of those who who believed in it uh, attended services at least once a month. They overwhelmingly believed it. 
So, so what are we to make of this? If, if this broad number of 82% say they don't believe it, or excuse me, of 46% say they don't believe it, but then 82% of Christians say that they, they do believe because those are the ones who attend church, well, this is what we could, could maybe decipher from that. It means that there's a confusion about what the gospel is. There's a confusion of what it means to be a Christian. There's a confusion about what must be believed, what must be believed in order to be a Christian. So the question comes then, can one be a Christian without believing in the resurrection? Does the resurrection even matter? There are some might be okay with Jesus, with Jesus' life. They might be okay with Jesus' death. They may, might be okay with burial. But the idea of a, of a, a risen Savior, the idea that this, this man, this God-man actually came back to life is, is a different deal. And some people find that difficult to believe. Our text for this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is, is, a, is the, a principal text in the Christian understanding of resurrection. Uh, the writer, the Apostle Paul, begins chapter 15 with a reminder of that which is of first importance. You heard it, you heard it read already. But we could understand it this way. This is the gospel of the resurrection. I remind you, brothers, look with me in verse 1. I remind you, brothers, so these are Christians, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and that by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And Paul is saying this is what matters most, and what does he include in what matters most? That Christ has died, that Christ was buried, and also that Christ has risen. All three are part of the gospel. These, these verses, three and four specifically, are the good news they're the good news in a nutshell. They're, they're the good news in like 28 words if you counted them. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. This is of most importance. This is of first importance. And there is no good news without the resurrection. One scholar said it this way, that, that Christ's death and resurrection are inseparable in the affecting salvation, in affecting salvation, which means you cannot have salvation without the resurrection. You cannot have salvation with the resurrection and not the death. Both are absolutely necessary. But as you read or heard read verses three and four, you heard this phrase, according to the scripture. He said that two times in regard to his death and then in regard to his burial and resurrection. Why, why would he say that? Well, it's because this is what the scriptures actually teach. When Paul is saying that this was done according to the scripture. He's saying, this is, this is actually what the Bible says. This is actually what it means. This is actually what the gospel is. This isn't open for interpretation. This isn't Paul's idea. This is what the scriptures were saying. This is what was prophesied. This is what was to come and what did happen. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. This is the gospel. We cannot pick and choose what we will believe about the gospel. We cannot believe only those things which make sense to us. Now, that might not make sense to us because we live in a very individualistic society that you can believe whatever you want to believe. That's what we say. You can pick and choose what you want to believe. That's what we say as a, as a culture. And yet the truth is that the Bible clearly states what it is. We don't have the, the, the privilege 
we don't have the interpretational license to decide what it is and what it isn't. The, the Bible is bound for a reason. So, so what is in there is in there on purpose. And what it says about Jesus is on purpose. We must get the gospel right. The gospel might seem strange. The resurrection might seem strange. It might seem crazy. And quite frankly, if you're not from the church, if you haven't been raised in the church and you hear about this deity who comes as a baby, who lives a perfect life, who dies on a cross, who's buried in a tomb, and three days later rises, and we're all celebrating, you probably think that is crazy. That probably sounds a little strange to you. But if you can only believe that which you understand, you're not going to believe very much. Think about the things that you don't understand. Think about the, the countless things you don't understand and you still believe. And yet when it comes to this, we sometimes become this great intellectual, that we're smarter than the Bible. We're smarter than, than centuries of people who've come to this understanding. Well, Paul doesn't leave it there with just what the gospel is and that the resurrection is part of it. He goes on to talk about the evidence of the resurrection in verses 5 and following. Some of this evidence is, is uh, physical, some of it's historical, and some of it is circumstantial. But all of it is important. First, he talks about the physical appearing of Jesus. You heard it read in verse 5, that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 5,000 brothers at one time, of whom, uh, of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, verse 8, last of all, Paul saying to, to, to him. Uh, Paul is saying that there was physical, uh, a physical appearing multiple times of the risen Christ. There's reason to believe that Jesus was resurrected because people saw him. He physically appeared to them. Paul using their names was a way of saying, you could go talk to them. He, Cephas saw him. Go, go talk to Cephas. James saw him. The 12 saw him. I saw him. Right? You can talk to these people. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Gospels, other people are mentioned as having seen Christ. Mary, Mary Magdalene, uh, and, and on and on we go. Um, in all the accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, all of them account for other people seeing the resurrected Christ. Along with his, his appearing, we could also understand this um, as evidence that, as Kurt said earlier, the, the tomb was empty. Right? We remember that. They came to the tomb, it was empty. A good way to prove that someone's dead is a corpse, right? That would be a good way to prove that. And yet there wasn't. There wasn't a body. And there has never been a body because that body was resurrected. Secondly, we find that closely connected here to the appearances was that there were eyewitnesses. People, literal people actually saw him. We just read the account, but, but there are other people. And in the Gospels, in Matthew, we find out that he appears first to Mary, to, to a woman, we also find that the women were the first ones to find the empty tomb. You might not think that matters much. Why, why would it matter that it was a woman? Why, who, who, really, who really would care about that? Well, here, here's why you should care about that. Because in the culture at that time, the testimony of a woman was not respected. So for, for a woman to say, I saw them, um, wouldn't have been necessarily believed. So what's the point of that? The point is this. If you're trying to make up a story, if you're trying to conjure up a, a credible narrative of this Jesus and that he's resurrected, you wouldn't go with a woman seeing him first. You wouldn't have. You'd have went with a man. 
Because that would have been credible. That would have been believed in the culture. Now, you may not like that, and that's fine, but that's the way it was. So, so why would they say that? The only reason they would say that is because that's what actually happened. <laughs> that's the actual record that was given. And with that, the dating of the record. 1 Corinthians, this book that Paul is writing, is written some 20 years after the death of Christ. Death of Christ was in the 80s, early 30s. This was written in the early 50s. 20 years. That's very early. That's very early, um, maybe for any account, but at this time, at this day and age, it was very, very fast. The, the account was, to, was written so closely to Jesus that the events wouldn't have been able to become legends. So this isn't years and years out where people are making things up. Right? This is close enough to the, to the event where you could say, hey, wait a second, I was there. I was there. I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't hear about that. No, no, no. This was 20 years. Now, as you get older, 20 years is like, right? It's like two days, right? For, for some of the room, right? right? You, you know how that feels. So, so 20 years, though, sometimes you might think that's a long time. It's really not. And historically speaking, it's not long at all. Uh, the fourth measure of evidence that we find is the conversion, uh, the conversion of unbelievers. And Paul writes about his own conversion here in verses 8 through 11. Paul says that he's the, the last one the one untimely born, which means he wasn't, he wasn't following Jesus while Jesus was alive. He saw Jesus after. On the road to Damascus, we remember that story. So to see one of Jesus' most ardent opposers converted, how do you explain that? How do you explain that? How would you explain that someone who, who wanted to stop Christ is now following Christ other than he had a transformation a transforming experience, as did other disciples as well. And the fifth is more maybe circumstantial, we might say, and it's this, the explanation for Christianity in general. How do you explain the rise of Christianity? How do you explain the, the, the seemingly overnight rise of Christianity if it were not for the resurrection? The fact is you cannot explain Christianity without the resurrection it is inseparable both to salvation and to understanding of the Christian faith. As we move into the next section, the Apostle Paul uh, here uses an argument. You heard it start, start the start of it in verse 12. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that the dead, um, that, the, the, that there's no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so there were some who were saying, I believe in the resurrection of Christ, but I don't believe that, that the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they don't actually believe that, that when you die, you will be resurrected. And so what Paul does is he takes this argument, he takes this premise, if the dead are not raised, and he runs it to its logical conclusions. Okay, so you say the dead aren't going to be, be risen. Right, that's what you say? Okay, so this is what that means. Right? This, is, this is how that's going to logically work itself out. Here are the consequences of such a, a premise. The first is that Christ would not be risen. Look at it in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is resurrected. So if, if humans aren't going to rise again, here's the reality. Christ didn't rise either. That, that's the logic. Paul, Paul is saying... If Christ does not rise, or if, if man does not rise, then Christ could not have rise, raised, been raised either. Meaning, Christ's resurrection 
precedes the resurrection of the dead. Let's keep going in verse 14. What else? What's another consequence? The preaching would be in vain. Our preaching would be in vain. Paul's saying, we're, we're preaching this Christ, and it would, be, it would be worthless. It would be empty. It would be unreal. What's the preaching? The preaching is the gospel. The preaching is verses 3 and 4, that he was, he, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. It would be hopeless. The preaching would not be able to do what it says it would do. My job would be meaningless. I'm wasting my life, right? If Christ be not risen. What else? If Christ is not risen, number five, where are we at? Number three, the, the, your faith would be in vain. Your, your faith would be in vain, meaning it, it wouldn't be true. You'd be believing in something that's not actually the truth. Imagine that. Number four, preachers would be misrepresenting God. Closely connected to uh, number two is number four, that the preachers would be misrepresenting God, intentionally or unintentionally. There'd be preachers getting up there saying that something had happened that hadn't happened. It's pretty significant, for, especially for an apostle, right? An apostle is saying this, that that's what the significance is. That's what the, the consequence is of not believing in a resurrection. Paul then moves verses 16 through 19 into three more, we could say, personal cons- consequences. If Christ not be raised from the dead, this is verse 16, not even, let's try that again. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, all men would still be in sins. Here's the reality for us today. If Christ be not risen, we are all still in our sins. That means we're all under the condemnation of God. That means we're all under God's judgment. That means there is no hope for you. That's what that means. That that's the consequence of believing these things. There is no Christian faith when uh, R.C. Sproul says, there's no Christian faith without the resurrection. Number six, all dead believers would have perished. All dead believers would have perished. What do we mean by that? We would mean that their souls would be lost. If there's no resurrection and your loved ones, there's no hope. It's over. Finally, all Christians would be pitiable. All Christians, some, some translations says, would be miserable. It'd be miserable to be a Christian. Here you've, you've self-sacrificed your whole life and then wind up that if, if in, only, in this life only you have hope. You are of all men most to be pitied. That's what Paul says. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you live your whole life with this understanding that I'm living for Christ, I'm living for Christ, and find out that Christ be not risen? You've wasted your life. If Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. And Paul does not stop here. He's been using a negative logic. He's he's arguing that the negative implications of no resurrection. And then he turns in verse 20 and he says this. Read it with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Here's the truth. The consequences are significant if it were true, but it's not true. 
Christ has been raised from the dead. He, in fact, is our hope. He is the hope of our resurrection. Because he's been raised, therefore we have hope. Verse 20 goes on to say um, that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then verse 23, he uses first fruits again. It's kind of a strange uh, term. Uh, it's a Passover term. It, it's a term of, of the, the first thing to, to then um, more things to come after it. And so Jesus is, the, Paul is saying of Jesus that he's the first one to be resurrected and then us. Our confidence in our resurrection is based on our confidence in the resurrection of Christ. Verse 21 says, For as by a man, that's Adam, came death, by man, by a man, that's Christ, has also come the resurrection of the dead. And Christ is our life. Verse 22, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Christ is our life. Because Christ is risen, our hope, our hope, our only hope in this life and in the next is Christ alone. Therefore, no matter what your circumstances are, you can have hope. You can have hope in suffering and in sorrow. You can have hope in blessing and in gladness. You can have hope in the midst of temptation or in victory. You can have hope in the midst of failure or faithfulness, in life or in death. The resurrection of Christ tells us that we have hope. Brother, sister, a friend, one who is yet to come to Christ, the resurrection of Christ tells us that, that life is not hopeless. You may feel that way at times. Christians may feel that way. People who don't know Christ certainly may feel that way. But the resurrection of Christ tells us there is hope. That there's hope in this life and there's hope beyond this life because of what Christ has come to do. And what did he come to do? Not just resurrect us one day. He came to give us life now that begins now and lasts forever. There is no good news this morning without the resurrection of Christ. There's nothing that can be told to you today that's good without the resurrection of Christ. That changes everything. It is a deal breaker. The truth of the gospel rests in the reality of the resurrection of Christ. It is crucial to your faith, meaning this. You must believe in the resurrection in order to be saved. You may say, I, I find that untenable. Okay. But you need to understand this, that, that Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess through the mouth of the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. You must believe in it. You must. You cannot know God without believing in the resurrection. The question was, does the resurrection matter? Yes. The resurrection absolutely matters. It is why we can say with the Apostle Paul, just a few verses later in chapter 15, we say this, Oh, death, where is your victory? We sang this, right? Oh, oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, but, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're with us this morning, and you have yet to come to Christ, and what we mean when we say that, is that you've yet to come to Christ and say, 
I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus is perfect. I know that he is the only way for me to be saved from the judgment of my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me my sins, and I'm trusting Christ alone for my salvation. If you have never done that, we invite you this morning to come to him, to come to Jesus, this risen one, to see him as the Savior who died to save you. See him as the one who has risen now to reign, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one and only way to the Father, the only hope in this life and in death, your only hope, your living hope. Would you come this morning? Let's pray, Father. As we read your scriptures and as we look at Paul's words this morning, we see him so clearly telling us what the gospel is, the evidence of the resurrection, what might be some consequences of not believing it, yet concluding by saying that Christ is risen. We can know this. We can have confidence in this. We can know that there's life to be had. There's hope available to us today. And I would pray for those with us this morning who don't know Christ, who have never come to the point in their life where they've recognized him as their Savior and their Lord, that even this morning, as they sit here, that you would convict their heart to ask you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be saved to repent of their sins and believe this gospel, that Jesus Christ died. He was buried and he rose again. For those that do, for those that have, God, we pray there'll be great rejoicing this morning in the hope that we have, not in ourselves, not in our goodness, not in our church attendance, not in our, our obedience, in the work of Christ alone. He is our living hope. In his name we pray, amen.